As Christians, we can be in this environment and be safe to live out our Christian faith. We could be involved in a ministry and, and feel safe about living for God. And even when we're eating breakfast or around other Christians, we can be safe in that environment. But how do you live a godly lifestyle in a society that is godless? How do you live in such a way that, that you're living a righteous life when you're around an environment where a righteous life is repelled or almost rejected? How do you do that? Well, God calls us to live holy lives and God, godly lives. But the question is, how do we do that? Because it can become so difficult because we don't want to feel like we're judging people. But at the same time, we don't want to shy away from who God called us to be. It's a difficult thing. And there's going to be times and situations where we're going to find ourselves where we're faced with living a godly lifestyle in a godless environment. Now, if I claim to be a Christian but live in an ungodly way, that I influence those around me negatively toward God, then there might be something wrong with my claim to be a Christian. Because a Christian is a 24-hour-a-day job. It's not something we put on and put off. It's not like we turn on the switch and then turn it off. It's a constant working act. But we do find ourselves in situations where our faith can almost push people away or it can actually draw them near God, closer to Him. And we don't know what's, what the outcome can be. All we know is who God called us to be. Paul the Apostle, he says it like this in Romans 1, and you have your notes, you can take that out, and, and your scriptures are in there. And in verse 16, Paul, he says it like this, as an apostle, he says, You know, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So what Paul is saying is, this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is the power unto salvation. It is what saves me. It is what God has given to us as a gift in Jesus Christ so that we may have eternal life, starting with the life here on this earth to give us life more abundant. And he's saying, don't be ashamed of it. There's power behind it. Live in such a way where your salvation shows up. And he says to the Jew first, in other words, to those who God, in those days the Jews were God's chosen people. And that's what he was speaking about in the context of God's chosen people, and then also to the rest of the world, or the Greeks. He said, it's going to be where you're affecting the people that are closest to you, and then to the rest of the entire world. Now, there's a man who we're going to look at who was born blind. And then we're going to look at his life, and, and how his life was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, and how we can be people who kind of learn from this uh, situation that took place, and this miracle that took place. It's found in the book of John, in John chapter 9, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in the New Testament. Um, I'll read the story, and you can follow along. But it's a, it's a very interesting story of this one man who was born blind, and how he came in contact with Jesus Christ. So in uh, John ch uh, chapter 9, I'll read from verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Isn't it interesting that when something goes wrong in our life, or we see something happen to someone, we think, I wonder what they did to deserve this. Or what did I do to deserve this? Oh, see, I knew this was going to happen if I never go to church. I knew this was going to happen if I didn't pray. I knew this was going to happen if I didn't do whatever God asked me to. Now, there's consequences of sin. But in this case, Jesus answered, He said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed, his, he anointed the eyes of the blind men with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now imagine this, you're blind from birth. You cannot see anything from birth. You understand sound, and that's a little heightened in your uh, awareness because you're blind, and so you're, you pick up a little bit more on hearing. But now you can see. You can see colors that people have been trying to describe to you for years. You can see trees and animals that people have been trying to tell you what they look like for decades. And now all of a sudden you can see. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus coming up to you and... and and him spitting on the ground, making clay out of the mud, and putting it on your eyes. Now it may seem like, well, that's a cool thing because we know the miracle that's taking place. But if you're a germaphobe, you'd have a very difficult time with that. First of all, mud, and then someone's saliva. So now you're dealing with this, but now you can see. He says, go wash in the pool. I'm sure this guy ran to the pool and he said, i got to wash my face. So he ran to the pool or he went to the pool. He came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? In other words, they could see a difference, but they're not sure if this was the person. Some said, well, this is he. Some said, well, he's like him. But he's, he's there and he says, I am he. I, I'm the guy. So everyone's kind of confused. Therefore, they said to him, Okay, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. Anointed means to smear. Anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Well, where is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know where he is. And not that he didn't care, but there was something that happened in his life that he wasn't concerned about anything else. He just said, I have no idea. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. Are you guys kidding me? You're trying to figure out all of this stuff? I was blind, but I can see. I can see you now sneaking out of the house. You cannot sneak out anymore. I can see you. They brought him to... They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. So now they're saying, okay, we, we, we're kind of almost buying into it. But now let's go take you to the religious leaders because there's, there's got to be something more than this. You can't just now all of a sudden see. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. I told them that. I'm going to tell you the same thing. Same thing. 
Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Because that was the day set aside apart for God, so no one did their normal work. So now the Pharisees are saying, This guy's a sinner. He's not from God because he, he did not keep the Sabbath. He did a work on the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there is a division among them. Imagine the blind guy standing there, hearing this discussion about whether Jesus is who he says he is or if he's a sinner. I mean, if I was the blind guy, I'd be like, you know what, forget you guys. I, you can talk among what you want. All I know is I can see. That's all I know is I can see. You can have your discussion. You can be right or wrong, but I can see. I know what he did for me. Goodbye, and I'm out of here. But others said, well, how can, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? Oh, I read that. And they said to the blind man again. This is again. What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. He's not no normal guy. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. How embarrassing is that? Kids, you know how that is. What happened? Oh, this and that. Oh, let me go ask your mom and dad. See what happened. Now your, your parents are coming to your school as a high school student to watch you work in your classroom to clap for you to cheer you on they're calling his parents so they asked them saying is this your son who you say was born blind how then does he see now I'm asking the parents I'm poor blind guy I mean this guy got healed as a miracle they're all questioning if he can see and how did this happen he's like well, whatever his parent his parents answered them and said well we know that he is our son and that he was born blind but by what means he now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we don't know he's of age ask him he can speak for himself now his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews agreed that, that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. What bold parents, yeah? It's like, what happened? I don't know, ask him. I'm not getting in trouble. He going to get in trouble. So you can ask him. So they called again. The man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Now this man who was blind, who can now see, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's already frustrated. But he's trying to let them know, Okay, you know what? This is ridiculous. It's very simple. I could not see. I couldn't see a thing. He spat on the ground, made some clay, put it on my eyes. Yeah, it was kind of gross. But then he said, go wash in the pool. I had to find the pool. I still couldn't see. I had to run by myself. And I had to listen for when I was going closer. And finally, when I got there, I washed. But when I opened my eyes for the very first time I could see, don't you get it? And they still didn't believe Tell me that he wasn't trying to live a godly life, even give God glory in a godless environment. And people still did not believe. 
You know, God has called us to live holy and righteous lives. And we're going to learn how we can be like this blind man and, and some biblical principles that will help us to live godly in a godless society. You know, this man's testimony was very simple. I was blind. I washed my eyes after he put this clay and now I see. Then he got very simple. He said, you know what? I was blind. Now I see. It's, uh, why can't you get it? In other words, and number one, you can write this in, my testimony is powerful. It is very powerful. It has power beyond what we can ever imagine because people can have their own opinions about God. They can ask all the tough questions. They can even have their own opinion and belief about God. But they cannot take away what God has done for you and I. No one can take that away. There is power in our testimony. That we were once blind, we once had this lifestyle, but now God changed us and now we can see. It's a different perspective. There's a difference that takes place in our lives. The Apostle John, he received revelation from God. He received a vision from God, wrote it out, and now we have the book of Revelation. He had the vision of Satan, the devil, falling out of heaven, who was once good and then turned against God, was thrown to the earth. And he saw a vision about that, the one who accuses us day and night before God. And he writes this in Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. That testimony is, is someone, a spectator, who witnesses anything. The testimony that we have, that God did something in our life, there's power in that. Because people will ask you, okay, if God is real, then how come there's all this evil? If God is so loving, why did this happen to so-and-so? If God did love everyone, what, what's happening with all the starving people? If God did do this, then why this? And you know what? We can't answer that. There's no possible way for us to think exactly like how God thinks because we only see what's happening now. He sees everything from beginning to end. The finished product. We can't answer those questions. We can't give, give indisputable proof of why certain things happen. Now we can guess, we can give our best theories and our opinions, but we don't know for sure everything that takes place. But I do know this, I can answer this. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. That is indisputable. No one can take that away from you. Because of what Christ has done for us, it's solid and sure in Him. The foundation is in Him. Never underestimate how living out your testimony has power to it. Never underestimate the power behind what God has done for you. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation. See, God, God puts us in places where we work, in our families. He even set the times in which we are to live, even where we live. And He says, I've, I've put you there for a specific reason. At work, you are to shine as a light. Yeah, but it's hard. It's difficult. Not everyone knows you. Not everyone understands you. Yeah, but they will understand you used to be like this, and now you're like this. That 
speaks volumes. They understand when you love them unconditionally. They understand when you have compassion for people. They can understand that. They understand that when we live like God saved us from the pit of hell, they can relate to that. They understand. At parties, party like a Christian. What does that look like? I have no idea. But it's not how I used to party before. It's way different now. It's way different. And it's amazing that God will even have us in those environments where He's saying, have fun. But not like before. It's different now. Because I've given you different desires, a different heart, a different lifestyle. Now you're a living testimony. Listen very carefully. As a Christian, whether you think people know you are or not, they're watching us. They are watching us. And you may think, ah, they don't know, they don't know that you know, I, I'm a Christian or that. They know. They know. In your own family, you will be faced with that constantly. Because people will ask you questions. Oh yeah, if God says this, then what about this? If God this, then what about that? Or they may even go a bit further. You go church, how come you do that? That's the soa kind. You know, it hurts. It's like, ah! And you'll have that battle. They'll say, that's why I don't go to church, because I still do this. But my response is, that's why I need Jesus, because I don't want to do this. I really don't. I mean, we feel that, don't we? Like, when you do something horrible, and then you, you know you, you, you did wrong... And then you go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I feel horrible. I got to remember that horrible feeling before I do it again. Because it doesn't feel good. You know what that is? That's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's that spirit that it resides in us that is ushering us closer to God. It is often said, the closer we get to God, the more flaws we see in ourselves. Because God is perfect. His light is perfect. And He shines on us, not so that He can say and point out all of our flaws. He shines on us so that when He shines in us, that same light will be reflected and shine for everyone else to see. And after a while, now His desires become my desires because His light is in me. Then I don't want to do the things I used to do before because now I'm a new believer. I believe different things. I have a wonderful testimony. I just heard of a story of a mom who was counseling her daughter. The very same thing her daughter used to say to her when the mom would go to her daughter and say, You know, people are asking me questions I can't answer. They're asking me, If God exists, why did this happen? If God is love, how come this happened to this person? And as the mom, she remembers her daughter giving her counsel and saying, Mom, just tell them what Jesus did for you. You can't answer all those questions, but you can, you can now say what He did for you. Amen. And now the mom is able to give her daughter the same advice because the daughter is calling the mom and saying, Mom, I'm in this environment where people are questioning God and asking me about God. I don't know what to say. And the mom says, just tell them what Jesus did for you. And people will still question They'll take, They'll bring religion in. They'll bring all kinds of other debates in. But it's not 
going to be that that allows us to live a godly lifestyle in a godless society. You know, one word destroys our testimony. And that one word is religion. See, religion is our attempt to explain the things of God and explain our way to God and our attempt to get to God. But the relational part of it is when God says, you, you cannot answer everything because I'm too, too smart, too perfect. My ways are higher than your ways. You, you're, you can't answer all these questions. But in this relationship, you can show them the genuineness of my love for you. Relationship is what God looks for. Not us explaining the Bible from front to back. We won't be able to. He says, your testimony is powerful. When the blind man who was made well was questioned about his new life and healing through Jesus Christ, all he needed to do was give his testimony. That's it. They were saying that Jesus is a sinner because he does these things against our religion. And this man answers in John 9.25, I don't know whether he is a sinner But I know this, I was blind, but now I can see. How simple is that? See, what Jesus has done for us is powerful. And you may be in a a situation right now where you have never given Christ your life. And so you don't understand that power. You don't understand what it means to have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. But you're searching You may be one of those who were like those questioning the blind man. You might have your questions. You might have your religious views. You might be in that compartment. But nonetheless, I was blind, but now I can see. Maybe in our scientific knowledge of life and our humanism, we are trying to see before we're healed from blindness. Instead of saying, Jesus, heal my heart so that I may see. Many of us want the proof first. But a healing must take place before we're ever to see. And this man was bold enough to say, look, I, 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 don't, I don't know your views or what you're thinking about All I know is, this is what Jesus has done for me. For us to live in a godless society and try to live godly, it takes courage. It takes boldness. Boldness must be attached to our faith. We cannot just skin past and skid past all the things of life and the ups and downs and and hopefully our life makes a difference. Jesus made a difference on purpose. And he says, you can live that same kind of life with boldness. And if you are taking notes, our second point together we write in, be bold, don't blend in. Be bold, but don't blend in. Because that testimony has power. It overcomes. It's able to to help us overcome the most difficult challenges, the temptations that come our way. Be bold. Don't blend in. We were not created like a chameleon. We we weren't created with the kinds of cells that they have that, that change the color of their skin by their mood. 
Some of us, we will, just because of blood rushing to our head when we're angry. But we're not created to blend in with the world. We're created in Christ Jesus to shine as lights in a darkened world. And although it's difficult, He gives us the power to do so. If I don't intentionally stand for the things of God, then I will naturally fall, by default, to the things of this world. If I don't stand intentionally for the things of God, I will, by default, fall for the things of this world. That's why Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And he says, don't copy, don't blend in, don't, don't become like everyone else. You're supposed to be like me. Well, I, it's hard. It's, a, it's an environment where you're not accepted. It's an environment where if I were even to speak about you, then I'm an outcast. I agree with Devin. There's many times where you won't need to talk about God, but you live for God. And when we're living for God and we're loving people like God loves us, boy, it changes the entire atmosphere around us. We were at this one party and uh, we were just you know, starting to come to church. This was in the early 90s. And, and we're learning about God and, and, and trying to live godly lives and holy lives. And not perfect, not legalistic, not with arrogance, but, but a way that's pleasing to God. And I remember we were at this party, and then some of my friends' friends, which we didn't know too well, they started to put on X-rated movies. And so we're sitting there, and Heidi and I are like, what are we doing here? We shouldn't be here. Let's get out of here. And so we told our friends, we said, you know, we're going to leave. We don't want to watch this junk. And they said, why? What's wrong? And they said, well, it's just, we don't want to, this is not something for us. We're not going to stay here. And so we actually told them, we said, we're going to leave. Well, our friends, they didn't want us to go. And so they said, hey, guys, take that off. Turn that off. That's junk. Don't, don't watch that. And everybody else was like, why? What's wrong with it? You know, they don't know. They are in the world and they don't, they don't know any better. Or maybe they did. And so now they're sitting there and now there's a, there's a dilemma. And for Heidi and I, we just agreed that we're not going to stay here. Well, they decided to turn it off. I think they put on cartoons or something, some Disney movie. And, and it changed the atmosphere. Now, what we didn't do is say, Oh, you sinners, you're all going to hell. <laughs> they didn't need to. But we knew what God was asking us to do. That that's not us. That's not our lifestyle. We're called to live holy lifestyles that are pleasing to Him. But it's amazing that years later, we saw one of them in church, and another in church, and another in church. And you you got to understand the boldness that God gives to us. And the testimony that we have has power to it. It's not in a way that we put people down or judge others. It's, it's so that we can be better for Him. And then He'll use us how He sees fit. There must be be a boldness attached to our faith. Now, we'll understand truth. We understand that the truth makes us free. But in order for the truth to make us free, we must first abide in it. 
Because we'll use truth, not necessarily to make us free, but we'll use it for other people. We'll find something that is biblical and then we'll use it against someone else. We'll find a scripture that, that, uh, that helps me be better as a dad. And then following that, there's something for the mom or the wife. And then we'll say, hey, you know what, uh, Heidi, you're supposed to serve me. That's kind of my paraphrase, but you're supposed to submit to me. And I'm like, I guess the king. So, yeah, something like that. But, you know, between you and the Lord, whatever you want to do. Oh, oh, here's another. Oh, kids, obey your parents for this is right. Or you can get lickings, kind of paraphrasing. But, you know, kids, kind of the same thing. I'm kind of like the king of the house, small k. But, and it's like we'll use truth against other people. We'll even use it with non-Christians. People that don't even know God. And we'll use truth in that way. And, and before I can have the truth make me free, I must first abide in it myself. And Jesus gave us wisdom. He said in John 17, I have given them your word, and the world hates them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They, be not, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Jesus says, I've given them your word. That's the truth. I've given that to them. And Jesus, in His bold prayer, gave the same boldness to us that we would be like Him. Not of this world. Not taken out of the world, but but to be among those who He's trying to capture. And He's saying, I'm going to use you, but you got to be bold. Don't blend in. You need to stand out as lights. Well, I know that, but it's difficult. It's such a difficult thing to do. You don't know the environment I'm in. Jesus says, no, I know. I know the environment. In fact, He says in John 16, these things I have spoken to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, when our relationship with Jesus is genuine and we're relying on Him and His power, we're able to overcome the non-Christian environments that we find ourselves in. We're able to, to overcome the non-Christian temptations that come our way. Because there's boldness attached to it. And although the truth makes me free, I must abide in His Word. I must abide in it. Be a part of what He's doing. Not use it against people. And here's the last thing, because truth should be a destination. So make truth. Let it be a destination. Let this truth of God, the things that He speaks to us, the Word of God, be something that brings us to places. Not something we just hear about. He says in John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own behalf, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. 
And sometimes we want to know about the future, so we, we look at other things to predict our future. But what Jesus is saying is, it's not about, am I going to be rich? Am I going to meet this person? Is this, am I going to get married again? Or get, am I going to find someone? He's saying, no, I'm, I'm going to tell you about the future in truth. What the Holy Spirit will do is He'll guide you into all truth. He will tell you about the things to come. Have you ever been stuck with a decision that you needed to make and you're, you're between left or right and you're wondering, I don't know what to do. So you stay in the middle and you still get in trouble or you still fall flat on your face? Yeah, it's because I'm not motivated or being moved by the Holy Spirit's power. I'm being motivated by my scientific mind. I'll, I'll energetically, if that's a word, Think through what, is, what should I do rather than saying, Holy Spirit, guide me unto all truth. Let that be a destination. Because it's a journey on this truth with the Holy Spirit. He'll guide us. And if it's true that, that truth needs a guide, it means He's taking us somewhere. That we're going places. Truth must be a part of my life. The truth that God called me to live a holy life. The truth that He has set me free. The truth that He created me to be a good father. The truth that He created you to be a great mother. The truth that He created you to be a great person. The truth that He placed you and I in the environments that we're in so that we could shine as lights for Him. But the time is coming, says John 4.23, and Jesus is speaking this, Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And catch this. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. In spirit and in truth. God calls us to live in that way. And you might think, well, I, I don't know if, if, if I'll be accepted. I might lose some friends. Yeah, you might. You may lose some friends. But I've learned this. If they are truly your friends, you won't lose them. You'll gain them. For all of eternity. Don't settle for second best. Settle for God's wonderful life that He promised for us. When Jesus was taking communion and when he first instituted communion with his disciples, it was the night on which he was to be betrayed. He got his disciples together and they had some wine and some bread. And Jesus said, this, this is what's going to take place in my life. And he said, every time you do this, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. He told them he was going to the cross to die for their sins. And although Jesus was letting them know what was about to take place, and although there may have come a time where the disciples were faced with dying for the cause of Christ, what Christ was trying to give them was, was the power to live life on this earth and to spread the good news to everyone. How to live godly in a godless society. And so he gave his disciples everything that they needed to live in that kind of way. And although many of them died for Jesus, and many, even after that, many were martyred for the cause of Christ. And although important, he says, yes, there may come a time where you're 
you're going to be faced with dying for me. But more than that, I'm calling you, persuading you, encouraging you to not just die for me, but to live for me. That's the life that he gives to us. This man was 86 years old. His name was Polycarp in the first century, in the early first century. And, and he was faced with death because of the Roman proconsul. And now he's faced to be condemned to die. The proconsul felt sorry for him, so he gave him repeated instructions on how to avoid the punishment in store for him. But this man, Polycarp, was unimpressed. And the proconsul kept trying to persuade him, trying to help him so he wouldn't have to die for his faith without talking about his faith. Polycarp says, Well, since you keep wasting your time urging me on and pretend not to know who and what I am, listen to me announce with boldness I am a Christian, he shouts. But if you want to learn the doctrines of Christianity and what they are, appoint me a day and you shall hear them. Well, this irritated the proconsul. He decided to put a little pressure on the old man. I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them if you don't repent. And he thought to himself, that should scare him enough. But no effect. Polycarp said, call them then. Call all your wild beasts. We're not used to repenting of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. He responds. Well, that was enough for the proconsul. No more Mr. Nice Guy. If you won't repent, I'll have you burned with fire since you have no regard for wild beasts. Nothing changed. Now the 86-year-old Polycarp was up to a face-to-face confrontation. And he says, you know, proconsul, your fire will burn for about, what, an hour or so? But God is able to save me from eternal fire. Have your way. Go for it. Well, the proconsul is even more upset, but at the same time, he was astonished at this man's faith. Well, he couldn't take it anymore, and he turned Polycarp over to the stadium crowd, which Polycarp had insulted minutes earlier because he had called the people atheists and told the proconsul that they weren't worthy to hear the doctrines of Christianity. Even though I tell them, still, they don't listen. Well, the crowd in a fevered rage brought enough wood to build a bonfire. And Polycarp was martyred, burned at the stake for the cause of Christ. And we'll look at that and, and think, what a, what a martyr. What boldness. And maybe in our, in our situations, maybe we will feel like that. Like we're burned at the stake for the cause of Christ. But even more important, Christ is saying, not only will you be in a situation that you might be a martyr for me 
But wherever you are, live. Live for me. As if you knew you would speak to a world that doesn't understand me. That those who are far from me may look at our lifestyle and in their minds they will see a martyr unto our old life. But a person who lives for Jesus in our new life. We're going to receive communion this morning. And that's what the new life is about. The ushers are going to pass out the juice and the bread and just hang on to them. And then we'll receive communion together. God calls us to live holy lives in a society that may not acknowledge Him. But nonetheless, we say to Him, we will live for you. Go ahead, ushers, pass out the juice and the bread, and then we'll conclude together. Go ahead, worship team. So when Jesus was with his disciples and letting them know what was about to take place and helping them to understand that it was more than just believing, but it was a lifestyle that they were to live so that the rest of the world would be able to understand that, that God was, was one who loves people. Not one who is after us to get us, but one who wanted to be with us. Jesus said, this is my body which has been broken for you. And every time you do this, remember me. That my body was sacrificed for you. So that in those times where you feel like you're not able to overcome, you can overcome because I have overcome death. And no matter what situation you're in, I'm able to overcome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would you take the bread together? The Bible says that the life is in the blood. And Jesus said, I'm going to shed my blood so that you may have life. I will give my life so you can have life. And it's a life that is everlasting. It's not a life that we just live and that's it. He says, no, you, you now have a purpose for living. And my blood is a new covenant where now you can live godly in a godless society because I've called you to live that way and I will strengthen you even when you feel like you're not able to. It's my strength in your weakness. You take the cup together. You stand with me and we're going to close in prayer. The ushers will collect the cups on the way out or they may come by. This past Wednesday, some of you were here, but we celebrated our 30th anniversary here at New Hope. And when I looked at the life of Jesus Christ, He was 30 years old when He started His public ministry. And He he did everything possible to shine the light of God into this world for about three years. And I looked at this church and what God has done in those 30 years... And I thought to myself, Lord, you have only just begun, haven't you? And His power will be given to every single one of us so that we can in turn spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hurting world, a godless society. It's not going to be the laws 
It's not going to be our legislature. It's going to be the people of God that shine as lights into this world. Would you bow your heads with me and we're going to pray. Lord, there's many of us this morning that we have this changed lifestyle. You've given us a brand new way to live. And so we're grateful. Help us to to be bold in the places you've called us to be. To be people who love others. Not be legalistic or arrogant or prideful, but that we would love people how you love us. I pray for those, Lord, this morning that they're far from you. They've never said yes to you. They're trying to figure out life. But this morning, they felt this tug on their heart like someone loves them exactly where they are. But they've never given their heart to you. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. For the very first time, I'm going to pray and help guide you in this prayer. But you add the heart. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. To give me eternal life. Help me to live godly. In a godless society. Give me boldness. Thank you for giving me a testimony. Of a changed life. In Jesus name. And every head bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray for those that said yes to Jesus for the very first time. And you can... Let me know by just raising your hand real quick and and enough that I may see your hand and, and pray with you. Go ahead, raise your hand. You said yes to Jesus Christ for the first time. Good, back there. God sees you. God sees your hand. God sees you back there. He sees you back there. God sees you up here in the front. God sees your hands. He knows your hearts. God sees you. And Lord, for those that said yes to you, I pray that they will remember this day in which new life was given and that for the rest of their lives they will live for you. For all of us, Lord, give us boldness that we may live a lifestyle that is pleasing to you even in the most darkest places. Let our lights shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen.